Good morning, Cornerstone Church. And welcome to the visitors that are here visiting with us today. We hope that your time with us is blessed and God is glorified and revealed uh, to you by the preaching of his word. Today's uh, scripture, we'll be looking at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So as you're turning there, I'd like to kind of like, just kind of set the table for today's uh, text. And it, I think that we can all agree that, that uh, sin is an offense to a holy God, right? Some sins are more obvious and damaging to our society as a whole, and those who practice them do so with reckless abandon at times. Some sinful behaviors are, most, are, are more suitable and easier to conceal from those closest to us, even within a body of believers, the church. As confessing Christians, we have a responsibility to fulfill our calling to proclaim the gospel to be a light in a dark world, endeavoring to reflect Christ in us to the extent that we are able. The more darkness that's driven out of our lives, the brighter and more effective the reflection will be. At least on this side of heaven, we will have victories and at times we will struggle with those sins. But it's not about the position we are in, it's about the path that we are on ultimately. To be a, a true reflection of Christ is possible, all the while continuing to do battle with our own propensity for sinful behavior. It would be much easier if at the time of our conversion, God would remove all sin from us on day one, but unfortunately that isn't the case. We still struggle with the process we don't struggle with it, but we enter into the process of sanctification, of the constant and daily regeneration of our hearts. And through that, the process works. The Holy Spirit works in us to reveal the truth of God's word, to bring about that in our lives, that we would be drawn to him and away from our own sinful nature, to be day by day conformed to the image of Christ, Yes, Christ promises us forgiveness for our sins, past, present, and future, by his abundant grace alone. But we still must do battle with our flesh in the here and now. We trusted Christ in the past when we called out to him for forgiveness as the first steps to our salvation. We trust Christ for our future when he will finally when we will finally see him face to face and experience the fullness of his glory and the promised perfection of his creation in the, and the fulfillment of all of his promises. It is in the present time that our trust is challenged as we are engaged in this process of regeneration and we do play a part in that process. Our faith is challenged on a daily basis. In today's text, hopefully we will, uh, today's text hopefully will help us not only in our individual faith journey, but 
also in our journey as a body of believers within the church. Amen. So to today's text, I'm feeling a little conviction about having my phone up here after last uh, Sunday's message, but I have an excuse. I'm old and I can't see too well. So um, <laughs> anyway, um, Sorry. No, we will go to, like you said, technology, you know what I mean? Okay. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones being built up as spiritual, as a spiritual house to be to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for, is for you who believe, and, and for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. As for the reading of God's word, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, Father. We pray that your Holy Spirit will dwell with us richly, Lord. Um, reveal the truth of your word to us today. Um, Father, even, even this message, Lord, we, we pray that you would be glorified, Father. We pray that, that you would be lifted up, and Father, that that. It wouldn't be a message I bring, but a message that's brought by the Spirit of God to edify the church, to edify us as believers, and to bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Verse 1. So, well, we can stop there, I suppose. That That's a connecting word, remember? And in, in, uh, we, we covered that. On, uh, on, on the last chapter, in chapter 1, there's these words like therefore or so, or if you read a King James, 
it might say wherefore. But what that what that calls us to do is to look back and try to uncover what he's saying because he's given us now action based on what was already said. And if we look at verse 23 of chapter 1, if you'll just look right up there, um, verse 23 through 25 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Verse 24, For all flesh is like grass, and its glory is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower fails, falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So I believe that that is the main point of the text we're going to look at today. It is about God's word. It is about the everlasting nature. It says that it's not corruptible, but incorruptible. It says that the word of God abides forever. And that the word of God endures forever. So with that in our minds and that in our hearts, we move through this text. We read in Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. In John 6, 63, Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So it is the Spirit of God that will work through us to reveal the truth of this everlasting and and imperishable word that we will take with us until we see Christ face to face. And then we will be in the presence of the word itself. Spiritual growth as a Christian is totally dependent on the word of God. If we expect to grow, we must be in the word of God. It has to be a priority for us. The word of God is too wonderful for us to neglect. There's no way you can destroy it. And even if you desire and and if you desire to be born again and grow spiritually, it is impossible without the, the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. If we desire to allow the Word of God to produce in our lives its desired effect, spiritual life and spiritual growth, there are a couple of things um, that Peter mentions that are essential. We must prepare the soil of our hearts. And as we move through this next portion of the chapter, we're going to see what that requires. It, it requires us to look within ourselves and, and remove some things from our lives that may be a hindrance to our growth and flourishing in our faith with Christ. I don't know about, I know that there are some gardeners here. And when I, when I, when I saw that idea of preparing the soil for our hearts, it it brought out that aspect. I, I love to garden. And there are many things that will come against the plants that we put in the ground. It takes special attention to feed the plants, to, to protect it against disease, to protect against um, um, bugs and all kinds of things. And, and it, so I thought it was, a, it was an analogy that might, maybe we could relate to a little bit. Our hearts are the same way. We must protect our hearts, we must eliminate the things in our hearts that draw us away, that, that bring uh, division between us and living um, the, 
the kind of godly lifestyles that I believe the word calls us to live. Let's look at the uh, the remainder of verse 1. The things that, that he lists here to remove from our lives are malice, which is an evil disposition, a malignant spirit, and a desire to injure another. And that's a pretty straightforward kind of out-in-front type of a sin that people, what it's referring to here is a very open and willful type of disobedience and... and uh, uh, just malice, and it's it's obvious. Some people do it with, like we talked about, with reckless abandon. They they have no conscience when it comes to that. Another is guile. That is craftiness, which is a subtle subtle deceit. It's a more it's a more subtle kind of a problem that we deal with that we may bring into our own personal lives, the personal relationships that we have. Hypocrisy is deceptive and deceitful actions and attitudes. And it, that word that's used there for hypocrisy, it can also be applied to an actor putting on a mask in a play or playing a different part. And we don't want to do that. That, that, that That's a deceitful kind of a thing because we're putting up front in front of people that we care about. It's better to be honest and straightforward with who we are and what God has done in our lives. We we are who we are. And Christ is who he is, and that's our source. Envy, which is feelings of unhappiness because another has that which we desire for ourselves. Evil speaking, slanderous and defamatory statements about others, which is gossip, right? These are personal personal issues that, that affect very personal relationships. The closest, the people that are closest to us, these types of things, if we allow them to remain in our lives, they can be destructive to building a healthy relationship with one another, and they can be destructive in the development of our growth together as a body of believers. So we must be careful to eliminate or to at least recognize, be honest enough with ourselves to be able to see those things in us when we take a look in the mirror and say, you know, I see that in myself. I, I have to do that same thing. We all do. Young, old, male, female, rich, poor, we all face these same struggles. So there is no division among us. We are all in the same boat. The book of James, chapter 1, verse 21 says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and evil with meekness in the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Pointing to the word as the solution to that process. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8 says, but now you must put them all away. He gives another list here, some inclusive word. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. If we replace these evil things with the positive that, that the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit that brings us love, peace, joy, meekness, gentleness, 
all those fruits of the Spirit, if we remove these negatives, we endeavor to fill our life with, with the positive fruits of the Spirit. For the Word of God to flourish in our lives, we must rid ourselves of these things. To love one another fervently, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, he references that, that it is about our love inside of us for one another that we do these things. It builds up that type of love, and it brings us closer together. It bonds us as a body of believers, not only with each other, but with our Lord, because we watch the work of, of the wonderful Word of God bring us this kind of growth and this kind of strength. And it's not in us. Everything that we are asked to accomplish here is solely and completely through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must quicken us, our hearts and our minds, to the truth of God's word. And it is he that draws us to the gospel message and reveals our sin in our lives and reveals the righteousness of Christ to us so that we can see where we stand in comparison to that righteousness. I don't mean to make it sound like a negative, but I think it's important for us to never lose sight of what we truly are and where we truly are in our walk with Christ and in our growth. First Peter 1.20, oops, I'm sorry. If we read in the Gospel of John, in the high priestly prayer, Jesus had much to say about, about um, the truth of the Word of God. And in a short series of passages, in verse in 17, verse 8, For I have given them the words that you gave me, that they have received them and have come to know the truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And further on in, in verse 17, he says, Sanctify them in the truth, for your word is truth. That process of sanctification we covered in the last chapter, it means that that the sanctifying of our life will separate us and create a separation and bring a difference between us and the world that surrounds us. We must be separate from this world. Of course, we have to live here. Of course, we have to exist and, and, and comply with, with the government, the rules, the regulations. But in our hearts and in our conduct, and in the decisions we make on a daily basis, we must be separate from the world for the world to be able to look at us and see Christ, an accurate and pure reflection of who Christ is in us. In, chapter, in uh, verse 19 of John 17, it says, And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. And in Psalms 119, and I, uh, if you if you haven't ever read through Psalms 119, it is uh, it's an awesome psalm. It's long, but it is replete with encouragements for us to look to the Word of God, to look to His laws, to look to His precepts. It is just one right after another, and. Uh, I encourage you to go there and read further Psalm 119 and allow God's word to, 
to reinforce what Peter is talking about here, the message that he's giving us. In Psalm 119, verse 11, I'll just pick one. The word I have hid, thy word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So to protect ourselves from the influence of sin in our lives, we must have God's word in our heart. We must have God's word in our heart. Moving on to verse 2 and 3 of our text today. It says, like newborn infants, we are to long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We read in Psalms 42 verse 1, it says, as a deer pants for a flowing streams, so my heart pants, so my soul pants for you, O God. And that's a reference to that word longing. And what that means is it, it's a very intense word of craving. Of it's, it's a desire. Like, have you ever been so thirsty that you almost can't drink enough water? You're full of water, but you're still thirsty. And that's, that's the intensity with which that word brings with it in this message. Peter is encouraging these believers to have that longing for the word of God that, that is intense that it is, is something that we, there's a drive within us to seek out the word of God. And the pure spirit, spiritual milk of is referring to the word of God. And it's by it, it says, that you may grow up into salvation. And then he puts at the end, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And that, that is our proclamation as believers. If we confess Christ and we proclaim him as our Lord and Savior, we have tasted the goodness and the grace of God in our life. If, if, that, if that conversion is true and we repent of our sins and open up our hearts to receive this process of sanctification and regeneration in our heart, we have tasted the grace of God. There is no other way that we can experience that shy of this great grace that God gives us. And we should be so thankful for that. And it should be the, the force that drives us to whatever we endeavor to, to do for the Lord. It is just out of pure thankfulness that we are where we are and not where we should be. couple things we must do. We must have the proper desire for the word. Peter illustrates the proper desire when he speaks that we are to be like newborn babes who desire milk. Just as babies long for milk, we are to long for the word of God. And I'm sure that the majority of us, I know there are some newborn babes here in 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 real life, and they're going through a process. They understand this drive, this desire, and it starts from the very beginning, from the moment the child is born. Their only desire at that point is the milk, the milk that flows from the mother, the milk that brings nourishment and health and vitality and strength to that baby. And this this word newborn that, that Peter uses here 
within the Jewish culture, they have different names that are used for different stages of development and different stages of growth. And this particular word, and I'm sorry, but the name escaped me right now, but it's only used for newborn infants that are suckling infants that are still breastfeeding, that are still being fed the mother's milk. After that process, they have another reference for for different stages of the growth. But what Peter is trying to em emphasize here is that, that this desire that we have should resemble this milk. And this is not talking about, I know that in Scripture it talks about, about young Christians um, being only satisfied. I think it's in the book of Corinthians, if I'm not mistaken, where they were, they were not growing in their faith. They were satisfied with the easy aspects of the word of God and weren't moving on into the weightier matters. They were existing and trying to live on this milk. And they were being encouraged by Paul to move on to weightier matters, to move to the meat of the word, to increase their knowledge of what God, of God's word. But that's not what's being spoken about here. This is kind of a metaphor that's very specific to this desire that we should have. It's a, it's a desire that we carry with us from the, you know, the time we accept Christ. I, can you remember when you accepted Christ, the hunger that you had for the Word of God? We discovered that, that this message of the Word of God speaks to us directly. There were parts I would read in here before I actually accepted Christ. I was like, you know, you could take that word out and put my name right in front of it. This word is speaking to me, and I wanted to know more of it. So that's the kind of desire that we should be looking for. And the question, the question that we have to ask is, do our present attitudes toward the word of God indicate such a longing in our lives? Can we say that? I pray that we can. But if you can't, then Peter's giving us a roadmap forward. This is, not, this is not a condemnation. This is an encouragement. If, if you feel a twinge of conviction from that, then let that be an encouragement to move forward and develop this hunger to, uh, for the Word of God. Do we demand a regular feeding on the Word of God like newborn babes? demand feeding of the mother's milk. If we feasted upon the food as often as we feasted upon the word of God, would we survive physically? Matthew 4, 4 says, Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. The prophet Jeremiah in chapter 15 and verse 16 says, your words were found, I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Failure to have this longing for the word of God is the main reason for the lack of spiritual growth in many today, it is why many do not overcome the sin in our life. Another question for all of us to consider. If we do not read, study, and meditate upon the Bible daily, 
If we go year after year, failing to read through the Bible on a regular basis, can it be said that we have the proper desire for the Word of God? It's an important question to ask ourselves, and we should be asking ourselves those types of questions. We need we need to be looking at the man in the mirror or the woman in the mirror or the child in the mirror on a daily basis and ask the hard questions. Looking on, moving on to verse 4, it says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. We look at as a reference, as you come to him. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of the soul and the spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What a powerful word. That we, that, that we are, that the word is alive and living within us and has this type of effect on our life. It is alive, and it's full of encouragement. It is, it is full of caution. But, but I want to focus on the encouragement. The caution is there, but we need to be encouraged in our faith. We need that encouragement that comes from the Word of God. Now we'll look at verses 5 through 8 says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then, then Peter goes into quote several quotations from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, the book of Psalms. He says, for it stands in Scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion, a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but, but for those who disbelieve, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. For us to maintain our walk, we must build these disciplines within us. I mean, we, we all have periods of our life where there is disobedience, where, you know, I know that I did. I walked in my own ways for many years. And I walked in errant understanding of what Scripture was. And I walked in an errant understanding of what the true gospel was. Thank God uh, that God, God has brought me to this place. But, you know, when, when it talks about as we were destined to do or as these people were destined to be disobedient, I, I don't really think that that means, of course, we, we talk about predestination. We talk about... God's choosing in certain events and elements in our life and the ultimate and eventual outcome, whether it's eternity with him or eternity in hell. There is a predestined course for our lives, 
But I don't believe that that's what he's talking about here. I believe that he's talking about for a time. We have, Peter ran through this. Peter, look at Peter's life when you look at the kind of life he lived. And during his uh, exposure to Christ, when he was, how many times he failed and stepped all over himself and and was was weak and cowardly and 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 obviously now we see the difference in Peter. So that was predestined, I believe, for Peter's life at that time. And why was it predestined? So that we have the example that we have in Peter now, in what he's delivering, the power of this word that he's delivering to these exiles, these pilgrims, is not only for their benefit, but 2,000 years after the death of Christ, we can still benefit by the same experiences that he had. And Peter reflects his growth from those failures and from those struggles that he had. So don't be discouraged if you struggle with these as well. God will work with you. There may be a reason for those struggles. None of us can always figure that out until the answer comes. And then we can look back and we can say, now I know why that happened. It's to glorify God in our lives. All these problems that we suffered through at times all these struggles that we face as believers in Christ are for one purpose, and that is to bring us to our knees and point us to Christ, to bring us to a place of faith and hope and repentance so that we grow in our faith with him and we grow in the word and our knowledge of, of what his message, his love letter to us is. Jesus was destined to have different effects on different people. When the, when the infant Jesus was being presented to the Lord at the temple, an interesting statement was made concerning him by Simon. In Luke 2, 34, it says, And Simon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. To some, he would be the cause of their rising. For others, he would be their downfall. To some people, Jesus serves as a cornerstone. To others, he is a stumbling stone. So he's both a living stone and a cornerstone. But the cornerstone of what? What does, it, what does that mean? He's the cornerstone of. I believe that, that he is a cornerstone of a great spiritual temple. He is, he is the most important part of the foundation of what we have and what we believe today. On top of that, cornerstone is built a sure foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the word that was brought through the Holy Spirit to the people. That's the foundation that has already been built. It is complete. And there for us, as shown in God's word. So that foundation, that reveals God's word to us as this foundation of this temple that's being built by Christ. And, and as that foundation, the cornerstone is the most important part 
of any building foundation. And Jesus Christ, as our cornerstone, is the perfect stone placed in the perfect spot at the perfect level, at the perfect angle. Therefore, everything that's built upon that stone is a true and accurate reflection of that cornerstone. It's up to us as what we are referred to as living stones, Christ in us, growing and being strengthened in the inner man. Christ refers to, or Paul refers, not Paul, Peter, I'm sorry, refers to us as living stones. And if we as living stones are part of that structure, then as we grow in our faith and become stronger, that wall, that structure, that building, and I believe it's the church, I believe that uh, when you take into consideration the audience that Peter wrote this book to in, in, at this time, they were exiles, they were pilgrims, they were sojourners, they were scattered abroad. And so they were in foreign lands with pagan idols and pagan temples, idols built of stone, priests and priestesses and prostitutes and all kinds of craziness going on in these pagan cultures. So they were faced with this. They weren't in Jerusalem. They weren't practicing the Jewish culture. They weren't part of the Jewish temple. But, but this all kind of ties in together for these people. And it also ties in for us as a church, as a body of believers. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we must be solid living stones growing in our faith and being strengthened by God's word every day in order to be effective for the call that we've been called to and to share the gospel. Moving on to verses 9 and 10. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10. Once you were a people, but now you are not a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word says that we are a holy priesthood what, and, a, and that we are to bring spiritual sacrifices. This particular portion of scripture, scripture is powerful, powerful image that, that has been presented here about what, has, what God has done for us. What a privilege for us to be incorporated in this image of the temple, the temple at Jerusalem or any temple. But, but specifically, we're talking now, I think, about the Jewish temple, the practices that took place there, the, the bringing of sacrifices, the shedding of blood. Um, it was, it was a, um, under the laws of Moses, the, uh, there was a distinction made between the priests and the common people. So the common people like us, had no access to the Holy of Holies. You know, you had to be a priest. You had to be a member of the Levitical priesthood, which controlled the temple 
operations and controlled that. And, and it was this vast array of things that they had to do. And even only certain priests were uh, uh, allowed access to the Holy of Holies behind the veil. What a privilege it is for us that Jesus or that uh, Peter now refers to us as a holy priesthood, that we are to bring spiritual sacrifices to this temple, to the temple that God is building. Even today, many, many religions professing to be Christian have developed this clergy-laity distinction. There's always been this distinction, but God in his great mercy and love for us has broken that down and given us access to his throne. We bring our petition of prayer. We had at our prayer meeting this morning. We can go with, with our troubles, with our struggles, with our needs, with our desires. We can bring them to the foot of the cross, to the, to the feet of God himself, and trust that he will hear our prayers. That, and we, we believe and we endeavor to bring what is true and right and according to his will in our petitions before him. But what a privilege. Let us not waste that privilege. Let us take full advantage of and, and understand what God has done for us. In Revelation, the book of Revelation, verses 5 and 6, it says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of, of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sin by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And I say amen. Now we are a royal priesthood. Our responsibilities are described in verse 5 where Peter says, we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices in attending and bringing our sacrifices to this temple. What are those, you might ask? Let's, let's look at some of these spiritual sacrifices that, that we can bring to this new temple. The blood has already been shed. The forgiveness of sin has already been brought to us by the death of Christ. That wonderful work on the cross that has brought us to this place of grace and salvation and forgiveness and a promise of eternity. But what do we do now that that has been done for us? Our spiritual sacrifices consist of a few things, I believe. Our bodies. Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, brothers, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We should bring our praise. We talk about a sacrifice of praise to God. Hebrews 13, verse 15 says, Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Our works, the things that we do, the, the things that we do not to earn our salvation, but out of pure thankfulness for everything that we've seen that the Word of God and that God has done for us. 
Out of that should flow our works, not to earn our salvation. That's been done. But this is as a result and out of a pure feeling of gratitude and thanksgiving to our Lord Jesus Christ for what he's done for us, the great price that was paid. We should be involved in good works and sharing with one another. Hebrews 13, 6, it says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Isn't that the goal? We want to do the things that are pleasing to God. Ultimately, even our death. I know it's a hard one to think about. We typically now, I mean, we live in a more modern culture, but there are places around this world where confessing Christ and, and being, being a Christian, promoting or pr- professing the gospel, winning souls, bringing people to Christ can result in your death. But we, even though technically and typically we in the United States are protected by our government to a certain degree, I see that slowly and slowly those protections and those encouragements are are eroding away. But that's not for this word today. But that exists. As, As Paul stated in his encouragement, at the end of his life, close to his own death, he was trying to be encouraging to Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day not only to me, but also to those that have loved his appearing. He was prepared. He knew. When you read through the book of Acts and you hear about the things that Paul says, about the journey that he took during his missionary journey, he went through the ringer. But it was all for a purpose. He was he had a love for the church. He had a love for God. I don't want to get too far off track, but but Paul was not, Paul didn't choose this life for himself. On the road to Damascus, God chose this road for him. God predestined this path, and, and Paul was ready to give his very life. And I think that those are the kind of sacrifices we have to have in the back of our mind. What if it came down to that for us? Would we? Are we that strong in our faith? Are we that encouraged by God's word that if that day came, would we walk that path? I pray that we do and that we would have that strength. C.H. Spurgeon had a very um, thoughtful uh, quote regarding this portion of scripture. He said, Beloved, coming to him, As a foundation, we become a temple. Coming to him as a holy one of Israel, we become a holy priesthood. 
and resting in his sacrifice, we also offer spiritual sacrifice, coming close to him for such as the force of the word. Coming closer and closer, we grow up in all things into him and become perfect in Christ Jesus alone. Moving on to the end of our chapter, verses 11 and 12. says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. When Peter refers to these readers and to us as beloved, he he also referred to them in as beloved. He he loved the people that he was writing to, and he he had developed such a love for the gospel. To look into Peter's life is so encouraging, um, and. He did have love. But Paul and James and John and Jude, all of them used this same term of endearment for the believers that they were being led by the Holy Spirit to write and to speak and to minister to. But most of all, we are beloved by God and Jesus. It says in Colossians 3, verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And this is where we see where we are encouraged to put off the negative, but in this verse, we are encouraged to put on some very positive things in our life. It says, uh, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, beloved by God, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. If we as believers in Christ and as a body of believers as Cornerstone Church. I love that name for this place, and it's so appropriate for this particular text. As living stones in this structure being built up by Christ, for us to build these qualities in our life will only bring health to us in the way we relate to one another. If we can encourage one another, if we can be compassionate with each other, if we can have tender hearts and exhibit kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, what a wonderful blessing that would be for us. And I encourage each of you to endeavor through that process and replace the old and the bad and the ugly with the good and the right and the beautiful and the healthy. We can only benefit as a body of believers by that process. We are engaged in a warfare, to be sure. This is a spiritual warfare. A war which fleshly lusts engage, wage war against our very soul. The outcome of this war is determined by whether or not we will reach our heavenly home. We are being observed by others. We are being watched by the world. So when it says that Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, 
they may see your good works and glorify God. The world is watching us. There's a there's a enough reason for them and enough reason put forth in this world by by the enemy that to demean what we represent, but we must fight that with our conduct. And that when they see that good conduct, even in the face of persecution, they can only but look to God and glorify him. By heeding this plea, it's possible to cause those very ones who speak evil of you to glorify God in the day of visitation. I believe that that day of visitation he's referring to here is that day when we will meet Christ. We all must bring what we bring to that day. It is incumbent upon us as believers in Christ to come to him full of the fruit of the Spirit, a bountiful harvest to have, to present to him. I'll close with this. Second, Second Corinthians verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 16. It says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. What a wonderful, wonderful thought that every day when we wake up, in spite of what the struggles that we face, our hearts can be renewed each and every day. The question is, have you received this mercy that comes through the washing and the regeneration, that day-by-day work, renewing the in the Holy Spirit? And that is an aspect of this that we cannot overlook. I didn't go into it in great detail in this message. Perhaps in the next time we have an opportunity to get together, we'll take a little bit closer look at, how, at the role that the Holy Spirit plays in this process. We cannot do this in and of ourselves. It only is done through this process. The Holy Spirit is God, equally God to Jesus and to the Father. We we We... We owe recognition to that aspect of our walk with Christ. So maybe we'll get into that in a little bit more detail. I apologize for not having time this time. Um, I'll close with this. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen.